Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to a special patron-only episode of The Secrets of Star Trek. And joining me today are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, so uh, we're continuing our uh, discussion, weekly discussion of the new Star Trek series, the animated series, Star Trek Lower Decks. We're going to be uh, discussing each of these uh, episodes as they come out and releasing them to you. And then uh, we're going to, at the end, bundle them all up and uh, let them, uh, the general audience in the Star series of Star Trek audience uh, listen to our discussions and see the benefit of becoming a patron. Like you all get to hear this as it happens. Uh, they'll they'll get to listen to it uh, after the whole season is done. Uh, so we're talking about Lower Decks, the animated series is the second episode uh, called Envoys. Uh, so got, just first brief overall impressions of Envoys. What did you think of this this uh, episode that it's got the uh, two basically two plots, uh, one involving Boimler and uh, Beckett Mariner and a second plot involving uh, Devana uh, Tendi and Rutherford. What did you think of this episode overall, Father Corey? Yeah, I was. I, I have to admit the, the the first the A plot, if you will, with with uh, Boimler and, and Mariner, I kind of cringed a little bit throughout much of that. Just and we'll we'll talk about kind of. I mean, just basically, she was a know it all right during this episode. Um, the other plot between uh, Tendi, well, especially with Rutherford, where he's going yeah. between he's he's. He wants to, to spend time with Tendi, so he's going to change careers. <laughs> and I thought that was really well done. Yeah. I, I thought that was kind of fun to, fun to, to see, it, you know, because when in the first episode, the, the, the bridge crew seemed almost cold and arrogant. And then they kind of flipped it on their head for this episode where they're actually willing to work with Rutherford and right. were supportive of him as he's trying these different careers even when he hits the one uh in ops where he was not cut out for it whatsoever because <laughs> yeah. he because he killed all the all the kids <laughs> yes yeah was accidentally. A, accidentally accidentally yes jimmy what did you think of this episode uh, overall i enjoyed it overall um at the end of last episode we had and this is so we see character arcs being developed in this episode that were set up in the first episode. In the first episode, it ended with Mariner announcing that she was going to be a mentor for Boimler. And we see that happening in this episode. In the A plot of this episode, Boimler has been assigned to take a Kling a high-ranking Klingon to some peace negotiations, but he gets drunk and steals their shuttle. Right. And and Boimler then has to get the shuttle back, which he does with Mariner's help. And at first, she's like overclassing him and everything because she has actual experience in the field. And this is his mm -hmm. first assignment. Um, but we 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 get the sense very clearly by the end of the episode that she's taking her role as a mentor seriously. She's seriously right. trying to help this guy and is willing to go out of her way and even lose face in front of others in order to help him. Right. Um, the, the B plot 
uh, is also growing out of the previous episode where just at the end, after Rutherford had had a date with another woman who was turned out she was great, but not quite nerdy enough. We had a little spark of, hey, there could be a relationship with Tindy, the Orion woman. And and we start to because she is geeky and and that starts to pay off here as uh, they have a sort of date to watch a nebula together. Mm -hmm. And but his work schedule interferes with that. And then he makes this decision out of the blue. And uh, this is something they could have chalked up to his cybernetic implant or something but didn't um, to like get out of engineering and try another job. So his schedule will be different. Hmm. And I'm going really other people have to report for, to work too. I don't know that being, could you just maybe shift to a different shift in engineering? <laughs> right. Um, so I thought that it was an implausible premise that someone would suddenly change career tracks like that. But once I accept that and say, okay, that's what they're doing, I thought it was well played. And one of the things, as Father Corey mentioned, is it got us to introduce the different bridge officers. Yep. So we learned more about them uh, because he tried out each of the different major departments. Mm -hmm. And so we got to get another sense of the characters who were who otherwise you would think would be the stars of the show, but actually are the supporting cast. Mm -hmm. And I, I enjoyed how they played that because as father said, you know, they flipped the hero mode script on us. Uh, yep. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, you're the best engineer. I can't afford to lose you. It wasn't that at all. He, when he goes up to the chief engineer to say, I want to transfer, they do play it for comedy, making it hard to say, Oh, you're my best number one engineer. You know, I, I wish all the engineers here were like you. My life would be so much easier. I want to transfer. Well, that's just great. If there are new career opportunities, yeah. uh, any department would be fine to have you. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and and they do that more than once, where mm -hmm. the where you're expecting the senior bridge officer to be angry, and he's actually supportive. Well, and they even kind of play that up where he acts like he's angry, and you get the looming, darkened view, and all of a sudden, that's great. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, some people uh, I've seen complain, like, oh, the implausibility of the situations, you know, the, the idea that, you know, he would completely change careers in order to spend more time with her or that sort of thing. Uh, but in, in some ways, it feels a lot like the workplace comedies we become used to, whether it's uh, the, the, you know, was it Ninth Precinct? I've only uh, pre I forget what it's called, but the uh, Precinct 99, Precinct 99 or The Office or Parks and Rec, yeah. which are all kind of farcical workplace comedies. And that's kind and, of what this is playing out as is a workplace comedy. And let, let's be honest, mm -hmm. Star Trek is full of implausible situations <laughs> that they <laughs> turn into episodes. So this isn't unique to this. <laughs> At least they're X. playing it for comedy here. So, yeah, yeah exactly. True. Uh, so one of the things uh, that that comes up, so this uh, the a plot of uh, Mariner and Boimler going down to the surface with this uh, Klingon general Corin. Uh, they they I like the the fact that they kind of make fun of the the why do all Klingon names sound the same? Well, they all have an apostrophe in them. Yeah, <laughs> like the whole thing about that. And they they go down to this planet uh, Talgana Four, and they lose. He wants to land in not at the Federation Embassy. But in Little Konos, so this idea that in this this uh, colony there are like Chinatowns, Koreatown, Chinatown, yeah. Little Italy. Well, there's Little Konos. Yeah. It even has an arch, like a Klingon style arch. It looks like a Chinese arch. Yes, yes. Uh, so I, I I did enjoy that, and then uh, they uh, end up 
traveling through this city, tra- tracking down this. It's sort of a, it's a quest, you know, sort of plot. Mm-hmm. We're trying to track down, follow Corin and the, the 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 stolen shuttle, and they keep ending up in these difficult situations. Uh, they end up in like Little Risa or Risa Town, um, and and there's a, a a sultry woman who approaches Boimler, who. Uh, we're supposed to think she's maybe a ricin and she wants to uh, have Jamaharon, which is actually a Star Trek. Some kind of some kind of practice. We don't know what it is and we don't want to know. We don't want to yeah, get into exactly. that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but it turns out she's some kind of creature that uh, if you ki- if you if he would have, ki- have kissed her, she would have implanted eggs in his throat. And like so that yeah. it's kind of this funny thing, like, yeah, you know, in in the Star mm-hmm. Trek universe. Yeah, there's probably like aliens who are like that. Like there were just these weird. Yep. Uh, you know, vampire-like aliens that you got to run into. I actually remember a similar uh, gag in the pilot of Babylon 5, where you have on the Zocalo a, a woman coming on to a guy, and she's actually from a race that eats their mates like Black Widow spiders, uh, and he doesn't yeah. know that. Right. right. <laughs> uh, well, and the, and the ultimately what we, you know, Mariner never wanted to go on this mission, uh, but when she finds out who it is, she kind of worms her way in and actually gets in charge of it. Whereas Boimler, he saw this as this great opportunity to shine, even though he's just piloting, you know, he's uh, uh, piloting the, the shuttle. He's sort of uh, not really important well, and, at all. And she knows she's she knows this Klingon from long yeah. before from one of her previous missions. So, you know, so they, they, for her, it's a chance to hang with one of her friends. Yeah. Right. Right. And so. uh one of the things that's interesting, so we, we've kind of established that, that Boimler is brand new to Starfleet and mm-hmm. and that Mariner is about the same age, about the same amount of experience. But somehow she's had all of these experiences. I think this is going to be a running gag is that somehow this ensign has had all of these experiences well, that we know that she's we know that she's had rank before. Yeah. And she's been she's busted been down to ensign. OK. Um, now, this I is kind of this kind of one that. Hmm? I think she's been I think she's like four years older than yeah, Boimler and has had four years of experience. OK, well, I also I also think and this is a, some, a comment I saw someone say online, which. I could see them doing this where some of the experiences she has is because of serving on other starships. But some of the experiences she has is because she was a kid on starships with her parents, uh-huh. like, say, the Enterprise D. Yeah. I could see them doing something where they bring in the Enterprise D in a flashback. Oh. And it turns out she was one of the kids on the D kind of throughout the TNG era so that a lot of what she knows is because she was actually just on a starship as a kid, not because of any life experience she has. That's a really good point, Father. Whatever ship she may have been on, if she's the daughter of an admiral and a captain, mm-hmm. she probably grew up on starships right. and, yeah. and and has a lot of experience just from that. And I, I think it's going to and I, I, I'm, I'm wondering if they're going to she's going to be kind of doing this this know-it-all. I know all these different things and all these different races and all that and it's going to trip her up at some point. And not, not in the fake way they did at the end where she set the whole thing up to make him look good. But like, really, it's she's going to hit a situation where all of a sudden she's it not trips her up because, yeah, she's not as knowledgeable as she seems. Well, I also think it, it raises interesting possibilities, by the way, you mentioned that the, of getting guest voice actors in in flashbacks, like, you know, whether it's Riker or Geordi or somebody uh, yep. from TNG that I can see that coming up in the future. Mm-hmm. That would be cool, too. One of the things we talked about last episode is how affectionate 
this is towards uh, Star Trek, even though it's a Star Trek parody or Star Trek comedy, mm-hmm. and all comedy involves some degree of self-parody. Um it's affectionate and it's clearly written by people who know Star Trek intimately and are able to interact with it on a pretty deep level. So um, one of my favorite bits in this episode is where Boimler, I mean, we go through this series of encounters in the A plot where Boimler keeps messing up. We mentioned the one about the woman who wants to lay eggs in his throat, Mm -hmm. which is the grossest of them. (laughs) There are others. And, you know, every episode it's going to have something that's a little gross, but not too much of that because they're trying to keep it relatively family friendly. Um, there's another where we, where they go into a bar in the Andorian sector and they see what appears to be an Andorian elder being about to be beaten up by younger people. And Boimler leaps to his defense and he gets out his phaser. Of course it's on stun, but he gets out his phaser and it's like, get away from that elder. And it's not an elder. It's a Vindorian, which is a shape-changing alien from Star Trek, the animated series. <laughs> right. And so it's from the episode, The Survivor. And so uh, so if you're a fan of the animated series, here's yes. something for you. You'll recognize the Vindorian shape changer. Um, it looks kind of like a red octopus standing on tippy toes. Hmm. And uh, I remembered that instantly from, from my childhood before they even said its name as soon as they showed it, it's like, that's from the animated series. <laughs> and so they're they're really into the deep corners of the trivia. But it's not just trivia. They also are thinking about the mechanics of Star Trek writing, because mm-hmm. after that scene, Boimler has like lost his confidence and is uh, having a crisis of faith and thinks that he shouldn't he shouldn't even be in Starfleet. And here's what he says. I guess I'm just not cut out for Starfleet. Oh, please. You're Mr. Starfleet. No, I'm not. Not like you are. I should just turn in my uniform and go work on a research asteroid. <gasps> no, absolutely not. Do not even joke about that. That is the lamest thing you can do. I should just study bugs on a far off planet and then eventually get eaten. And no one will even know until they stumble across my distress call. But it'll be way too late. And then they'll have to spend a bunch of time deciphering how things went wrong based on my final shaky video logs. <laughs> and that is just that's the best rant ever it is so meta and it like we have seen that exact plot play out i think they have at least one per season in you know tng and tos at least and and it shows how the the writers of lower decks are aware of this and are able to make jokes like that but they're doing it affectionately Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it it is it, it is this the series so far is full of that affectionate, not just Easter eggs, but affectionate connections to the rest of Star Trek. I mean, it's it's almost a fan yeah. production. Like if if a bunch of fans got together and made a fan film, this is the sort of thing you, you do is is you make these references. Asterisk a good fan film. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. Let's, <laughs> let's let's stipulate. Uh, so the other plot with Rutherford uh trying out all the different positions. What I love is, is he, he first, he goes to, he wants to try operations. So he's going to try to be a bridge officer and he ends up in, as you mentioned, the, uh, what, what is apparent, almost a Kobayashi Maru holodeck simulation where, yeah. uh, you have, you have a warp 
breach imminent, the temporal rift, and he just basically freezes up. Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, just keep flying. Just keep flying. And mm-hmm. the yep. ship ends, ends up destroying. And, the, and then the uh, the first officer says, you should have used the Janeway protocol. But what was the Janeway protocol? I forget what that they is. They never said. They <laughs> never said. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, I, I'm sure it was, to be, it was supposed to be like a nod to like the Picard maneuver type of thing. You know? <laughs> yes. Something do you do when a, when a starship encounters a temporal rift? Uh, because as we know, Voyager had its fair share of oh, yes. <laughs> temporal rifts it was getting pulled into. Uh, and then... Yeah. So they actually started him with like a level 34 advanced training scenario. Right. So they knock it back to level four. So this is like the kindergarten level training scenario. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he still freezes up and it's like, what do you want to do, Captain? Uh, The Janeway maneuver and the the simulated bridge officers are like, is he serious? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it still goes wrong. Yeah. He's supposed to avoid an asteroid that's right in their path. Like all he has to do is say, Turn to the left. <laughs> you know, yeah. the port. <laughs> all to well, and then the it. asteroid hits and takes out both the kindergarten and the pre-K, <laughs> ejecting all the kids out into space. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and then the 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 second in command, I forget his name, comes back on and comes into the holodeck again and is like killing all of the children in that simulation has like literally never happened in history before. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it on a ship with more kids. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's a Commander Ran- Ransom is his name, and he's voiced that's by Jerry right. O'Connell of Sliders fame. Jerry O'Connell, oh. that's right. That's right. So then he also ends up in Sick Bay, where he he's actually really good at the mechanics of you know fixing people. But he has a horrible bedside manner where he's basically telling the guy, oh, you have like an 18% chance of living. But that's pretty good. You know, well, of now dying. it's 20. Of dying, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, now it's a 20% chance of dying. What? And he gets kicked out of that and then ends up in security where we, we talked before about uh, the Bajoran security chief, uh, Shax. It, who, who wants uh, to blow, wants to blow up all the warp cores he can? <laughs> yes, and uh, so he loads up combat. Goes to the holiday combat simulation smorgasbord, which involves yeah. a bunch of Borg attacking him, and in, but, a, in a wrestling ring. In a wrestling yeah. ring, right? <laughs> and 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 you expect oh, he's going to be overwhelmed here, but no, because he's a cybernetically enhanced human being, he totally takes down all the Borg. Uh, yeah. Something which no one has ever done before. Uh, he's he's able to use his implant where it basically plots out where's the weak point on each Borg. Right. And right. then just kicks their butt, literally. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's a natural born warrior. Um, but but Rutherford in the end decides, no, my heart is not in uh, being a security officer. It's being an engineer. And once again, like you said before, it's like, what? That's awesome. You do what makes you happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, this, one thing I do like about the, the security officer is that just a little thing they threw in, you know, he's Bajoran and he goes, by the prophets. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. This, right. That. Yep. I, I like this. This sequence reminded me of a of an arc that they had on Community, where one of the characters on Community, Troy, wants to be with his friends, but in order to help his friends, he ends up becoming a, an air conditioning repairman and he is like inducted into this secret cabal of air conditioner repairmen and he's like gifted as an air conditioning repairman he is like so he's the, the almost the messiah of air conditioning repairmen and so it's like he has this destiny 
awaiting him as an air conditioner repairman if he'll only take it. But no, he wants his friends. Right. And that's like what we have happening here with Rutherford. He's because he's got the Vulcan implant. All he had to do was tap it. It did a scan on all the Borg. It says combat routine optimized in his visual field and he just, and it just implements and he's, he's got like, you are the chosen one of <laughs> security officers. <laughs> if you will, you know, he gets inducted into what Shax calls the, the bear pack right. of the security team. And, uh, and I like at one point they're making bear noises to show their appreciation and stuff. <laughs> um, but, uh, but he, he turns his back on that destiny in order to go back to his true love. Yes. Yep. Which is, uh, which is the Jeffrey's tubes, the Jeffrey's tubes, right. And the EPS conduits. So, uh, the, uh, back with Mariner and Boimler, uh, Mariner, meanwhile, gets Boimler's self-confidence back by setting up a situation where they have to walk through essentially the central park of, of Togana four, uh, yeah. where they are waylaid by a Ferengi who's all of the stereotypes of Ferengi, uh, right there on screen, uh, who's trying to trick them very obviously into following them someplace where he can, you know, waylay them and, 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 uh, uh, rob them of whatever they have. And Mariner is so like transparently dumb about it. She's, oh, that's not a Frankie. That's a Bolian, obviously. And and he's trying to just ha- take us to a shuttle. And and uh, was a Boimler. Boimler. Yeah, is uh, so uh, like no, I I know better. And even Boimler, who's not really all that complicated, things figures out the situation and and that he's not supposed to go and ends up saving the the day. Uh, and uh, and then we find out later on that the Ferengi is actually another friend of Mariner's from her past, uh, mm-hmm. a, a Ferengi named Quimp that, uh, that she arranged this with in order to help uh, Boimler. But I, I, I like, if I remember right, when we see him as he normally is, not when he's dressed as a mugger, he's like wearing a monocle. <laughs> he's got a monocle. He's got a monocle, <laughs> like a, you know, that proper suit and everything. <laughs> yes. Very yes. Proper in his speech and, yeah, he's not going humans and steepling his fingers, you know, the, as as you, <laughs> yeah. which which Boimler pointed out, he's he's steepling his fingers. That's obviously uh, makes him a Ferengi. <laughs> yeah. So and and this is and we we learn from this that this is um, Mariner taking seriously her the role she's chosen as Boimler's mentor because he was having a crisis of faith. He was like going to quit Starfleet right out the gate, you know, on his after his first assignment goes sideways. And she wanted to build his confidence back up. So she arranged an encounter with her friend, this Ferengi, to give him a win so that so that he would get his confidence back. And even though he's like bragging about it later at her expense in in the bar back on the ship, um, she doesn't. She doesn't break kayfabe. She she just uh, lets him do that and uh, and is willing to lose face in order to help Mm -hmm. him. And that shows that she's really a good friend and a good mentor for him. So uh, any last thoughts about this episode of uh, Lower Decks? I I enjoyed it. I, I look forward to seeing where they go next. Okay. So uh, as we finish up, we want to take a moment to thank you, our patrons, who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. We could not do this without your continued financial support. So that's it from us. What did you think of this episode of Lower Decks? Let us know by visiting this post on Patreon and leaving some feedback 
or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. You can always subscribe to The Secrets of Star Trek by visiting sqpn.com slash trek. Until next time, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Well, thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, I really got to think of something cool to say when we're going to warp. Something like, it's warp time! <laughs>